The Boys of Tech with Edwin Herman and Brett King. Thank you very much. This is episode 66 of the Boys of Tech for Monday the 17th of May 2010. My name is Edwin Herman and I'm going to introduce my co-host Brett King. Welcome to the show. Howdy. Brett joins us over Skype as he does every week. And so we'll kick off the show, the big theme that was going on this week in the news, multiple news stories about this, is the lack of privacy or at least concerns about lack of privacy with Facebook. So, so Brett, have you deleted your account now? No. You haven't had the knee-jerk reaction? No, I haven't had the knee-jerk reaction. I'm one of those people who, as soon as I signed up to it, I went through the privacy settings and I turned everything off of make it so that everybody can see stuff. (laughs) Well, that's a sensible thing to do. And every time they have made a change to the privacy settings, I have gone back in, gone back through those privacy settings and reset them all. (laughs) Wow. It gets annoying having to go in and check it. So I would love it if they would just stop it, stop (laughs) making changes. (laughs) I saw this brilliant little graphic, an animated graphic showing the evolution of the privacy settings from when they first started, what was shown to only the f- what the default settings, what was shown by default only to friends, what was shown by default to the various outer layers all the way up to what was shown by default to everybody. And right at the beginning, everything was set to friends or friends of friends. Nothing was higher level than that. And then as it's progressed through the years, through the updates, the default settings have been getting looser and looser and looser and looser until right now, basically, (laughs) everything is almost set at everyone can see everything except for photos and one other selection of information from there, which is like one step down at networks, friends of friends and networks. (laughs) Wow, that's interesting. So their default settings for people who sign up for new accounts have been, yeah, just getting more and more open. So if you sign up for a new account, you've got to make sure you go in to your privacy settings and you go through them all. And and lock down what you want to lock down. And lock them down. It was, yeah, they've just been doing some ridiculously stupid things with their privacy settings. And I can see why people are getting massively up in arms about it. Uh, You can do something about it by going in and setting your privacy settings to lower. Don't just inherently trust something that you've set up to, you know, by default, protect your privacy. Uh, Go into the settings and actually check it in the social networking sites. And yeah, they, the, primary rule, which I think has been going around a lot, and it turns up in all of the comments to the different stories about the the privacy debacle of Facebook, and that is, don't post on the internet anything that you would not want your parents or your boss to see. That is a (laughs) very, very sound piece of advice, and you know, that is actually what you should that's that's what you should go by for not just Facebook, but things anything you do publicly on the net, you know, twi- yeah. Twitter, Facebook, uh, comments and forums. Exactly. E- even if they're closed forums, you know, 
that it's a very sound piece of advice. Precisely. Brett, tell me though, the settings that you were saying before were sort of getting looser and looser. Mm-hmm. Is that retrospective? So for example, if I signed up a while ago and they've loosened up on a particular attribute, if I haven't set my preferences on that, do I get the, the looser setting or the or do I re, do I stay mm-hmm. the, the way it was when I signed up? Ooh, I'm not sure if you haven't gone in and actually edited any of your settings. I know that my unless they've actually changed the feature, uh, one of the most annoying changes they did, which really annoyed the hell out of me, is they had the ability to create these different groups. So you could, you know, group people together in certain custom groups that you created and assign permission for certain aspects of your profile to those separate groups. Oh, I see. And I I did that right at the beginning. I I changed that. I set that up. I set people up into specific groups. So you can have friends, uh, family, colleagues. Colleagues, family, those sorts of things. So you can have those different levels. Right. Then they went and changed that feature, which destroyed all of your groups and everybody just became generic again. So I had to go back through and reset all of those. So it really, really got up my nose when they changed that feature. It's like you still have the ability to do it, but for some reason they changed it and didn't retroactively grandfather all people's current groups into the new system. They just got rid of them all. Oh, I see. Uh, so they, they didn't import the old group metadata no. into the new group. Yeah, into, so, the, into the new system that right. they created for groups. So that really, really annoyed me. And that was a big, big faux pas on Facebook's part. They should never have just opened that stuff back up again. You do not provide that facility and then remove it and not think there's going to be a backlash about it. Now, I've gone in after every time that they've, and you know, there's been a furor about privacy changes, the default settings changes, and all of my settings that I set up are still there. So I've not been impacted by the loosening up. But if you signed up with a new account, you would have the new default settings. So it does seem uh, so far to keep the settings that you have changed. But I guess if you hadn't changed a setting and you'd left it as the default and hadn't manipulated it, perhaps when, the, when they change their default settings, the new default will apply to you. So it does, it does pay to actually go in and edit the settings. I think it's really good that you take the time to do that. What's worrying, though, is that I suspect you're just one of a minority that actually do that and the rest don't care. And and then these situations come up and then, of course, Facebook gets bad press. Mm. And I mean, look, I, I don't mean to say that as though it's entirely the Facebook user's fault for not checking the, the privacy settings. I, I do think uh, Facebook has something to answer to. Oh, definitely. Facebook definitely has something to answer to by constantly changing their settings for privacy. Yeah, it makes it, makes it hard for, for people to, to ensure that, they, that their profile, their Facebook profile, stays locked down in the way that they want. It is all well and good saying that, you know, uh, privacy in the modern age is completely different and the, you people uh, care less about what they share. It's not that people care less about what they share. It's people are more ignorant about what they share. Well, I think that's a really good point. And I was going to talk about that, actually, because back uh, earlier this year, I think it was in January, uh, Zuckerberg, you know, who founded Facebook, Mm -hmm. he delivered a talk where the general theme was pretty much that privacy is no longer a social norm. People are, are more comfortable sharing more and more things on the internet. I think there might be an element of truth to that, but I think also... Running parallel to that, there are more and more situations where people end up 
inadvertently sharing things that they really don't want to. Yeah, inadvertently sharing things which they think they're sharing with just a specific, you know, group of people when based on whatever it is that they're using, the tool actually shares it to everybody and it just gets on out there. And the other thing is, it is I completely disagree that it, privacy is no longer part of the social norm. It is. If you go and talk to any of those people directly impacted by these things, they will tell you that it has you know, massively impacted on, their, on their, the privacy of their stuff. And it's purely been ignorance of the tool that they're using or naivety over the people that they've been sharing information with that has led to their stuff getting out there on, you know, out there for everyone to see. The whole Facebook thing hasn't really been helped by that instant message uh, log that was leaked. Did you see that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. From, what was it, back in 2003 when, when he was just a, a wee lad of 19. That's right. Yeah, you're running, running out of the uh, Running out of his dorm, dorm, room, dorm room at Harvard. That's right, yeah. Let me just read, uh, read a little extract for, for listeners who maybe haven't had time to, <laughs> to actually jump on the web in their busy week. It goes something like this. It's between Zuckerberg and a friend. A uh, friend's name has been removed. Uh, so Zuckerberg says, yeah, so if you ever need any information about anyone at Harvard, just ask. I've got over 4,000 emails, pictures, and addresses. And the friend says, what? How do you manage that? And uh, Zuckerberg replies, well, people just submitted it. I don't know why. They trust me, dumb people. Now, the word people, of course, uh, in, the, in the actual log begins with an F. <laughs> and rhymes with <laughs> truck. <laughs> yeah, trucks. <laughs> Anyway, that's about as, as much as we can <laughs> do on this podcast, unless we put the explicit tag on, which we don't have. So anyway, um, the, this really hasn't helped because, okay, that was back then, and uh, you know, I, things were probably quite different. I, mm-hmm. I might, I maybe I'm being naive, but I'd like to think that Facebook really do care about their customers' privacy now. Yeah. Uh, but you see, that was a very sort of cavalier attitude that we see in this in this log in this uh, instant messenger log. And it reflects poorly. And it I think- does. When the, when the founder of the company has in the past, when he set it up, been cavalier about somebody's privacy, it doesn't give you confidence in the company's own statements about privacy and their willingness to protect your privacy, yeah. the privacy of, your, of their users. I, I think the the best advice is, as you said, and other have, other people have also said this as well, treat whatever goes on the net as if you're happy for your grandmother, your mother, your boss to hear or see everything that you publish on the net. Mm. That, that's the best way. And then, and if you go by that, then you you won't get into these embarrassing situations. Well, you're less likely to. Well, true. You can't. Yeah, you can't pre- prevent. Prevent everything, but <laughs> indeed, you can't control what other people put up. True, or misquote. Yeah. All righty. So this uh, Facebook thing will go on for a while. In fact, someone's organised. I I saw somewhere a quit Facebook day. I think the last day of May. I think. <laughs> yeah. So that's come out. I don't. Uh, I I guess what's what might happen out of that. I don't think this is to sort of take down Facebook, but I think I'm kind of re- reading between the lines here. I suspect this is just a movement to encourage those who have been thinking about closing their Facebook account because it's not working for them or they don't really want that information there anymore to actually get up and do it and, you know, set a date. Mm. So I don't think it's going to be a a mass exodus from Facebook. I don't think it's meant to be about that. 
Uh, but uh, yeah, I think I think it was the last day of May as quit Facebook Day. So if you've been yeah. thinking about that, in fact, uh, just incidentally as well, the top search on Google has been uh, sorry, not the top search, but the top uh, search with in similar terms is delete Facebook account. <laughs> yes, it's been gaining popularity on the um, the Google search rankings, hasn't it? It has indeed. And uh, in fact, if you type delete into Google, I've tried this already. If you if you type delete into the Google search box, the first uh, the first match is actually delete Facebook account. <laughs> the second one, incidentally, is delete Google search history. <laughs> it's a little ironic. <laughs> well, you know, a lot of people don't like the fact that Google tracks their search queries too. <laughs> yeah, but I, I would, I'd probably use Yahoo for that search or Bing or something. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Well, it's a bit like know. trusting Microsoft to to put to give you antivirus. <laughs> but people do, and actually, they have and quite a, a good product. Good yeah, it's I know. Actually done, <laughs> it's true. actually done pretty well in the rankings, so you can't knock them. For no, that one. that's true. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we we did cover that uh, a while back, didn't we? Yes. All right. Now, the other thing that's been in the news for a while, especially since Steve Jobs has been really hammering Flash, really telling people how bad Flash is. Well, poor old Adobe really wasn't helped by a disastrous demo. They were trying to demo Flash on a, was it a Nexus One phone? Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Flash on Android. Yeah. And uh, basically it crashed. Uh, they, they fired up a, a website and it crashed. And so Ryan Stewart was the name of the guy doing the demo. He calls out to the to the audience saying, "Does anyone else have a flash site they'd like to see running?" And someone shouted Hulu, but uh, he, Hulu he responded, work yet. "Yeah, you responded. It doesn't work." And so that was the end of the demo. So really, not a good look. <laughs> well, to give some balance, this was a beta. It is still a beta for Flash ten point one on Android. So, of course, it's going to not work great. This is yeah, just a I, I know, that's true. And I think people, people have probably been a little quick to jump on the story. And, well, of you know, course, because uh, Adobe and Apple are massively in the news because that, of Flash. Right. And so, yeah, the, <laughs> because of the beta failing in a demonstration, yeah, people will be jumping on it going, oh, this just goes to show you that um, Steve was right. It's, <laughs> it's completely unreliable. Crashes. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't work at all on the Android. And, you know, we will, we'll wait a few weeks, we'll wait a month, and the next iteration of the Flash app on Android will come out, and it will work fine. <laughs> it's how these things go. Well, now they're under pressure to get it right. That That's for sure. So they're, they're under pressure to get it right before the, or, you know, by the time they release the, the actual first release. Mm. So no pressure, Adobe, but if you if you screw this one up, then I think that's really going to hurt. <laughs> I think that's basically the situation, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Okay, and in fact, just on that same theme, there's been rumours that Apple have been trying... This, this is kind of interesting because I wondered if this was going to happen. Apple have reportedly been developing a alternative to Flash. Oh, wow. So we've got Flash, we've got Silverlight, and now we've got Apple coming up with something. I, yeah, this, this just puts more and more of a negative slant on Apple's, um, you know, stand on Flash. Really? Yeah, I, I agree. I don't Apple's, you know, Steve's prominent thing saying that Flash is a closed source system. It's closed. It's a closed framework. And what does Apple turn around do? They create their own that will run on their systems. Yeah, this is uh, reportedly called Janduya, which is an Italian word, actually. 
but uh, spelled G-I-A-N-D-U-I-A for those who want to search for it. But what's interesting though, Brett, is that before we jump on, on the bandwagon and say, well, hang on, they're doing the same thing. It's reportedly completely open. It's all based on open standards. Now, the thing that's not really clear, there haven't been a lot of detail about this though, is mm. that I think it's actually a wrapper for existing technologies. A a wrapper for existing technologies. They've mentioned how it's it's supposedly standards based. So you can't create a new technology a new technology that's already standards based. Yeah, I don't I don't get it. So if, there's something, it's, if it's a wrapper for something that already exists, then why bother with a wrapper? I don't know. I, maybe you need a wrapper for for this kind of thing. I don't know. You know, if you want to do a bit like, say, Ajax, for example, right? Ajax is really just JavaScript asynchronously updating parts of a web page. But so it's really a wrapper, if you like, for for JavaScript, HTML, CSS. So I wonder if just in that same example, that the one that a- Apple's developing for, that's supposedly going to rival Flash is uh, kind of a wrapper because sometimes it's nice to wrap these things up. I don't know. I, there's not a lot of information about it. Have you, have you heard more about that? Uh, no, nothing. I know that it's been, well, it was introduced ages ago, uh, last summer. But other than this, yeah, this first announcement here, I have not heard anything else about it. <laughs> I haven't read a lot of detail about it, but what I have seen is that it, it's apparently a, a sort of a web-based mishmash of JavaScript, HTML5, and CSS. It does seem to be a wrapper of standard or existing standards technologies, which if it is, I don't think it's too bad. But yeah, I was wondering whether this was going to come out at all because, you know, the first step is Steve Jobs saying, Flash is bad, you don't want Flash. And then a couple of weeks later, it's, by the way, we've got something kind of like Flash, but it's better because it's standards-based. And I was wondering whether this was going to happen. <laughs> whether it's better or not, I don't know, but mm. we'll see. Uh, indeed, we will. And we'll see whether or not... Um Adobe's uh, request to the Federal Trade Commission uh, comes about. They've, what is it, they've filed for against Apple's behavior being, you know, antitrust. Yeah, anti-competitive. So, and is anti-competitive or antitrust? Antitrust uh, complaint. I'm not sure. It's one of the two. It's just as well Apple's motto is not do no evil. (laughs) Yes. Because that really wouldn't wash these days. No. (laughs) Doesn't really wash with Google at the moment either. No, well, that's the thing. And, uh, and right now people are commenting on that, whereas, uh, you know, <laughs> in a way, it's, it's, you know, as I said, it's, it's good that uh, Apple don't have that motto because then they don't have to worry about trying to defend it. But mm. uh, look, you know, I, I partly agree with where Steve Jobs is coming from. I partly agree. I mean, Flash is, Flash is everywhere, but I've never really liked it. And I'm not saying that because I'm an Apple fanboy and Steve Jobs told me that I shouldn't like it. I've, <laughs> I've never liked it. I, honestly, I've never liked it. Well, yeah, I've, I've had a love-hate relationship with Flash. I've been fed up with it, just like everybody else with, has, with you know the advertising agencies jumping on this bandwagon and creating all of these Flash ads which sit everywhere and do bizarre things and annoying crap when you mouse over them and you, you're not attempting to interact with the thing, you're just moving your mouse across the screen. And Flash has certainly facilitated that. But that's, you know, you can replicate that exact same sort of functionality with JavaScript and HTML5 and CSS. So it's really just the people using their tools to make something very annoying. But I have seen some brilliantly done 
Flash uh, on the web. Some brilliant Flash sites where the interactivity and the design and the look, you would have a heck of a hard time pulling off in anything other than Flash. And Flash suffers from the same drawbacks as any cross-platform framework. And that is the, the sluggishness, the responsiveness, and the sometimes flakiness of it. And those are, you know, they go hand in hand with having something which is cross-platform and will run on anything. And that is because to make it a layer that runs on anything, it's got to incorporate all this extra stuff. <laughs> and so that makes it, in, you know, not quite as stable if it had been written specifically for one platform. So it has drawbacks, but those drawbacks are because of its ability to be, you know, used by anyone. I guess where I'm coming from is that if you look at applets, like say, I don't know, online games, for example, I mm-hmm. think there's, there's no problem with, with that being in Flash. I mean, that's its own little thing. It's a, it's a game. Okay, it's embedded in a website, but that's just to make it easy to, to access. It's, it's its own little ecosystem, if you like, and it may mm. well be suited very well to Flash. But then, Well, it's not that it's just its own little ecosystem. It's the, the fact that it will interact with the wider, you know, the wider space of what it's in. It will interact with the web page itself. You play your little game, you, you click on different parts of it, and it will interact with your web browser, bringing up new web pages, those sorts of things. It's not a standalone little program running in your web browser. It's not like it's its own closed environment. It does have those added advantages of it is a web technology. It is able to interact with the web. You've kind of nuked my argument, actually. You have a point. <laughs> what, I, what I was going to say is I was going to go on and contrast that with, say, for video. So when you've got something that's purely video, why does it need to be Flash? Why can't it be something that, and it doesn't matter what this thing is, but why can't it be something that most, if not all, browsers understand natively? And that's actually where we're going with, with uh, HTML5. We haven't well, quite got well, no, there. Well, no, it's not. It's <laughs> the only thing that is natively running in browsers, well, you know, these next generation browsers that are coming out is H264 or whatever the hell. So what's wrong with None H2- of the other ones. Well, you know, you've got to pay a license fee for it. Well, we, not well you and open. I don't have to. Well, no, yes, you, you and I don't have to, but anybody who wants to incorporate it into their technology to support this, you know, this open finger quotes format, which is not an open finger quotes format, would have to shell out for the licensing fees, which are, from what I've read, not insubstantial. And that's the only thing that's inherent. If you have your video that you've created in whatever else, you know, you've created it in, in VC1, the Microsoft format, or in OG, or in any other of the myriad of different formats out there, if you have the video and it's only in that format, with Flash, you can wrap it and then the video will play on everything. You don't have to worry about the end user having the codec to run it. If the end user has Flash, which there is a facility through the web browser for letting the person get Flash really easily, then they can see your video. Whereas otherwise, if you're attempting to stream it, then you've got to have a streaming service and all the extra layers of complexity that go around delivering that video. Or you have to use a third-party site like YouTube or Hulu or any of the uh, myriad other web uh, showers. But they all use inherent formats themselves. So, 
Yeah, but the thing is, it's not as if H two six four is something weird and quirky from left field. It's part of MPEG. I mean, MPEG's been with us for for a long time. It's it's not like it's a a random thing that's just come along. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, to be honest, I don't mind what browsers support, but the fact that browsers can support something in common natively without you know an, an overhead of an environment such as Flash, I think is a huge advantage. And it doesn't have to be H.264. It could be, I don't know, Microsoft's WMV, so long as the specs are published in a way that the browser manufacturers can actually make native. You know, that that would be fine too. I suppose you could argue, you can do the same argument for Flash. I mean, it'd be nice if, if the, <laughs> the browser supported Flash natively, but doesn't yeah. Adobe control <laughs> that too much? I don't know. I'm not quite sure how open or closed uh, Flash is, but it wouldn't surprise me if Adobe controlled that a little tightly, and I guess that's why we don't see that. Well, the the format for creating Flash and Flash objects and all those sorts of things is quite open. You can create it in a program which is which is not Flash, and it will run in Flash. So, are you saying that browsers, in theory, have access to the technical data they need to build a Flash interpreter? I don't know. <laughs> Possibly not. Because I know you can create things for Flash in things which aren't Flash and have them run in Flash, but I'm not sure if you can, if there is anything out there for running Flash in something that isn't Flash. Because which that, is what that's you what would it be would, that's, about. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Because that's what it would come down to. And the thing is, yeah, you're, you, I know what you're saying about H.264. It's it's not open, but it's not entirely closed either. And that it's they've published the the spec. And they are just—they're willing to license it. The only thing is, yeah, you have to pay for it, so it's mm. not—it's not free. But I wouldn't say it's not open either. They give out the the data and the, the the technical specs to to build support for it. If you pay, if you pay, uh, this this is going to be something that's going to go on for a long time. I think. Well, oh, it is. I, it I, is I, indeed. You know, until and there, there's no there's no brilliant answer to it, uh, because if you want to create something and you want to be able to create it once and have it work for whoever, then you've only got a few options. Because, you know, people creating applications, creating web applications, things to allow people to interact with their business or or with their service or whatever, they're not going to want to have a dozen different varieties based on what is your browser, what is your operating system, what is your hardware. They don't want to create dozens of different versions of their app they want to create one which everybody can use no matter what your browser is no matter what your platform is no matter what your form factor of your device is they want it to be one dev- one app well which this, can cater well, this to is all the thing those. for for at least for the web space that's where browsers natively supporting a technology or you know more than one technology is the way to go Indeed, but to facilitate that, do you want to have one of those technologies be a semi-open technology that you can incorporate? They will quite happily let you incorporate if you pay this licensing fee. Or do you want something which is actually open? Okay, well, here's something else. I mean, JPEG, JPEG images, you have to you have to pay to to at least create something that that uh, creates JPEGs. Uh, but then I, I guess you could you could argue well okay well just sh- showing another weakness doesn't exactly prove a strength so exactly 
But um, look, I don't know. Showing I, flaws <laughs> in other things which out th- which are out there doesn't doesn't prove an argument against the flaws. No, that's true. So uh, look, yeah, I I don't know. It's yeah, it's look, it, until look, I, I agree with comes up with something which works and is open and everybody can get it and everybody can create it and nobody has to pay licensing fees, then nobody's going to win any argument in this field. Yeah, look, I agree with that. Ultimately, if you could, if you could wave a magic wand and what you got was browser support via HTML5 specifications, anything that, that follows HTML5 or maybe 6 or whatever version this, <laughs> this actually happens in the future, uh, that's open and completely open, like PNG. Mm. That would be really good, but you know, for you know, for interactive stuff. So if we, well, could- yeah, and being able to facilitate a wide and rich interactive environment through uh, web applications, through technology, through the web interface, that's what you want. So here's what that's we've got to do. Flash has endeavoured to supply. That's what you know, Silverlight, and all the different things that are trying to compete against what Flash has started. Um, are all trying to provide and facilitate that rich media, interactive sort of web technology environment. And until you can get that in something which is completely open, nobody's going to be happy. Well, here's what we've got to do. We've got to get the PNG guys onto this. The guys who did PNG will get them to build us a Flash slash Silverlight slash Java slash insert other technology name here competitor. That's what we'll get them to do. <laughs> and then we're all happy possibly except-, except for all of the people who have invested interest in making sure that their technologies which people have to pay licensing fees for are the technologies that get used yeah well that's that's going to be one of the things that holds things up and also the other exception will be IE if it goes like PNG it won't support this new thing for another three versions yeah well <laughs> you see that's why we will be having this argument I think in generations to come, arguments like this will still happen because there are too many things competing against there being an actual open environment for this sort of technology. Too many invested interests. I have a feeling you're, you're, you're right about that. I have a feeling we are going to be arguing about this for a long time to come. <laughs> so there's a few more. There's a few. We know what the the rest of the episodes of The Boys of Tech are going to be about, don't we? we no. No, we, we won't carry that over, but... Uh, we will yeah. not talk about this topic every single episode. No, <laughs> not unless there are major developments. Not unless there are some major developments. You know, maybe the Ogtheora team will come up with the next generation of, you know, the next iteration of Ogtheora, which runs superior to everything else that's out there. Either that or we see a news story that goes along the lines of, CEO of Adobe today announced that it will be discontinuing Flash for the foreseeable future. <laughs> Imagine that. I don't think we'll see that. No, I, don't <laughs> I think so the either. one which would really get people would be the Adobe announced the discontinuation of Flash for the Macintosh. Oh, now that would be wow! You, this that could happen. Yeah, <laughs> that could happen. Adobe and, just pulls the plug wow. and says we're no longer providing a Flash plugin for Mac OS X. You Macintosh people. No Flash for you. Enjoy the internet without Flash. (laughs) (laughs) Yay, a Flash blocker by default. (laughs) No, that wouldn't be good. That wouldn't be good. Because quite honestly, current levels of technology, HTML5, JavaScript, CSS, 
you cannot create the rich media environments that you can create with a good implementation of a Flash application. In those, then you can in Flash. All I've right, just so not seen it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I agree. And that's what Flash is for. <laughs> All right, sure, so you can have a, a, a web page, embedded video, JavaScripts, doing all kinds of neat things, CSS, displaying it all so it looks kind of pretty, but it will not be providing the level of rich media experience that people can create in Flash. I'm not saying that, you know, everybody who creates something in Flash creates some brilliant, rich media, awesome website that makes you go, ooh. <laughs> Most implementations of people uh, creating Flash applications for the web are atrocious. <laughs> yeah, and that's the difference between the use of Flash and the abuse of Flash. Exactly. That's the difference between people who know about creating a user interface and that design aspect and people who know how to make things in Flash. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, so we'll leave that story there. I want to move on to what Google's reportedly doing. You know, while Apple's busy beavering away trying to create a, an alternative to Flash, rumors are that Google are beavering away creating an alternative to the iPad. Ooh, Interesting. Yeah, so Google have made a phone, and now they're making a tablet, I guess. I was going to call yeah. it an iPad. <laughs> it's well, making a tablet. They're making, yeah, they're making a tablet. They're collaborating with Verizon Wireless, largest wireless carrier in the United States, to produce a tablet. How much do you want to bet? It's got a front-facing webcam and a USB port. And runs Flash. <laughs> and runs Flash. Well, it, it'll almost certainly be using Android, and we know Android is getting Flash. That's right. Because we saw a failed attempt at a demonstration of Flash on That's Android. That's right, as we talked about. Yeah, so, yeah, I, what's the bet? I'd say you're, you're pretty, you'd be right. I mean, that would be, put it this way, if they didn't do that, if they just made the same or worse as Apple... They're not, it's not going to help them because no. Apple have got a head start. What's interesting, actually, was Apple sold, they just announced this the other week, sold 1 million iPads in 28 days, which is half the time it took for the company to sell that number of iPhones. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was quite interesting. But I, then, I would have thought the iPad would have sold slower than the iPhone. Well, the iPhone was new and it had to breach that market. It had the power of Apple behind it. It had Apple's marketing gurus out there massively, you know, plugging the thing. And so people got it and then more and more uptake of it. And there's been, you know, a lot of brilliant stuff around the iPhone. There's the the iPhone 4 leaked bits and pieces that are going around. There's the app store. There's all of this massive amount of marketing leverage, which Apple has developed from the iPhone. And people are now, you know, iPhones are really what showcased uh, touch interfaces, multi-touch. And so they had that huge marketing base that when they introduced the iPad, they didn't have the same sort of environment as they had when they introduced the iPhone. The iPhone was a, you know, a big leap in um technology and interface, whereas the iPad is just a much bigger version of what people are familiar with with the iPhone. So yeah, I so think that could explain the difference. Was, you know, its uptake is a lot easier to put in. Yeah, I, I guess that, that could well explain that, actually. be interesting to see the Google one, because we, we reported last week in episode 65 that, uh, what was it, the Slate, the HP Slate? The, and the HP Slate. 
Well, the HP Slate has been re-announced and it will be running Palm, the, the, the Palm one. Has it been re-announced? Yes. Well, there you go. I didn't know that. So it, that's going to be running Palm OS, you said? Yep. And have they given a date? Oh, or uh, I can't remember the date. But they, they did give a date? Uh, no, it was like a, a, they had re-said that they were going to put it out. It's now going to be a, a Palm OS or Web OS, or whatever, whatever Palm's operating system is now right. was then <laughs> when they bought it. It's going to be a device that runs that. Right. I saw it as a new snippet. Interesting. That was kind of predictable, I suppose. Yeah. Well, we did talk about that. We did. You heard it here first on the boys of tech. <laughs> so yes, um, Google. I wonder what they're going to call it. Yeah, well, there was the G Pad. No, we've got the Nexus <laughs> One. The G- so the Nexus, maybe it's the Nexus Two. <laughs> the Nexus Two, yeah. So every device. The Nexus Two is the Nexus One on steroids. <laughs> That's if they do what uh, what Apple did and make the iPad a giant iPhone. Well, it'll almost certainly have a similar sort of form factor. Because, yeah, as we talked about when we were talking about the iPad and the Juju tablet, the form factor Apple has really rather pinned down, as that's what Apple does. <laughs> Those sorts of inf- interfaces and form factors, that is a strong point of Apple. They create some brilliant-looking devices. So we can pretty much assume it's going to look very similar to that. So this will be good. We'll have uh, a bunch of, uh, a range of phones now that are all kind of have this multi-touch kind of interface. And I think what's going to happen is we're going to get a range of multi-touch slate devices. And at the moment, the, the main two are the iPad and uh, what what's coming with Google, but there are other ones as well. It's good to have the, the range out there rather than having one company, one device, and that's it. And they're owning the market because that never works. Yeah. So we'll get all these varietal flavors of these these things. I'm looking forward to it. The the next you know the next uh, two to five years I think will be very interesting. It will be very interesting in these different form factors that are coming out for internet devices. Yeah. All right, and uh, still on Google, I noticed that the Android we're talking about the Android OS before Android has surpassed the iPhone in terms of sales in the US. It has. First quarter 2001, it's a massive jump in Android devices. They, over, they shot uh, up, yeah. They yeah. shot up from nowhere. And they shot up from, yeah, like less than 5% in the third quarter of 2009 up to a 30% share of the market in first quarter of 2001. That's incredible. It's doing very, very well. We have to. There's one thing we do have to say, though, that Android is spread across a number of different phones. It uh, is, it is. The, the, OS, the uh, iPhone OS iPhone is OS only on the iPhones. But that whereas, still goes to, it, it, I think it's still saying something. It still tells it us something. definitely telling us something. It's telling us that people are looking at alternatives to the iPhone. There are people, uh, well, you know, we always knew there were people who out there who were anti-Apple but wanted something similar to what Apple has created. Just as long uh, as it's not from Apple. It's just as long as it doesn't have the Apple on it. And yeah, it is really good to see the uptake from this massive range of different manufacturers uh, embracing the Android operating system and embracing these uh, the multi-touch interfaces. And HTC announced at the beginning of the year a big range of brand new Android devices coming out. 
These large gains in uh, in the Android sales are, are pretty much mostly from RIM, Research and Motion, who do the BlackBerry. Mm-hmm. And also uh, Windows Mobile, it's uh, steadily been declining. Yeah. Although, you know, when they come out with their Series 7, that might change the game a little bit. Yeah. They've got a lot of clout. Oh, indeed. And I think you it will be people who are just, who've had a Windows Mobile phone for a while getting rid of them because of the new interfaces and new things that have come out. Yeah, yeah. And they may well go back to uh, the Windows Mobile when the new version comes out. So, yeah. But it is, look, this Android thing is just incredible. You should see this on a graph. They shot up out of nowhere. It is indeed. And you can see all of the different markets because at the moment that Android started going up, all of the others started taking a sharp dip. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So it's, <laughs> it's, it is that Android is eating into the market of the big ones. Definitely. The BlackBerry, the iPhone. They are the ones being hit by this influx of Android. Definitely. All right. And now, you remember we talked about the, well, how can you miss this? We talked about the story about the iPhone 4G. Yep. That was uh, apparently left carelessly in a, in a bar in San Francisco and someone found it and sold it to Gizmodo allegedly for $5,000. Mm-hmm. There's been an, another series of photos from apparently a second iPhone 4G prototype. Yep. Uh, this, this time the case uh, has been photographed again and there are no screws in this one. So it's, it is yeah, a, it's different, a, it's a different it's, model. It's a slightly different iteration. Very similar to the previous leaked photos of the iPhone prototype, except it is, as you said, missing those two screws, which anybody who's got an iPhone, a regular iPhone, will know those two screws on the back of it. Something just doesn't seem quite right about this. And I don't know whether it's because it's allegedly from a Vietnamese businessman who claims to have picked up these uh, devices while he was on a trip to the US. I mean, how do you mm-hmm. how do you do that? You come out from another country and you just pick one of these up? I mean, what? Yeah, it, yeah. It, unless this, unless this Vietnamese businessman worked in a business which had been contracted by Apple to produce some component, then theoretically he might have been able to... I guess that's possible, but it, it, why, but would, why would he have purchased the, the prototype? And unless, why would he have gone to the States? I mean, wouldn't they, these images just come out of Asia? You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I don't know. Well, he claims to have picked it up during a business trip. Yeah, but why would you? You'd be well, pe- he might have been a businessman working for a company that produced a component that Apple used, and he was at Apple headquarters in the US for some meeting or something or other. Uh, shindig, maybe. They were having a corporate get-together of all of the, you know, upper people from the different manufacturers that they use. Who knows? And he might have picked it up then. But yes, it does seem a little dodge, especially when he says he, he bought it. Because if it's a, a prototype, how would he buy it? And, yeah, something something and doesn't, sell it. yeah, something's Unless a little weird about this one. Gizmodo. But then it would... <laughs> yeah, well, Gizmodo have got them for sale. <laughs> but then it is just pictures, so they could always be photoshopped. But yeah, that's that's what I wonder. There are more than just the screws that are missing. It is things. It's got. Um, uh, it actually says a storage capacity on it instead of just uh, you know XXGB uh, from the previous prototype that was put out. And this time around, the photos actually go a little more in depth to the gutting of it when they take it apart. Yeah, apparently there's a uh, a chip that's not the A4 chip, but it's still an Apple branded chip inside. Hmm. So, uh, look, yeah, I don't know. It still seems, maybe it is real, but it just, 
I don't know, put it this way, it's pretty remarkable to have one prototype leak. To have two is, I don't know, almost unbelievable, if you know what I'm saying. I mean, I'm not saying it's not possible, it's just, I don't know, it makes me wonder. So, is it apples? Is it real? Maybe. No, nobody knows. Interesting. Hmm. All right, on to Skype then. Let's talk about Skype. What are they doing? They're going to offer ads, possibly, to keep a free service. I wondered when that would happen. Yeah, I think everybody who uses Skype has been wondering when it would happen. And it has been that, wondering when it would happen, not wondering if it would happen. Yeah, absolutely. Because it was always bound to happen. Oh, it was bound to happen. When it was going to come in. And how it is that they're going to do it. They've said that they're going to do it in a, what is it, in a classy sort of way. But who knows? Well, yeah, that's kind of... Hmm. I'll, I'll I'll reserve my judgment for when it actually happens. I, I yeah, mm. but look, we as you as you said, we were waiting for it. It's just a matter of when, not if. And there's a, a funny story just to round off the show. Uh, a physicist has apparently unmasked a mistake in the Oxford English Dictionary, and that's been replicated <laughs> to almost all English dictionaries. For 99 years. <laughs> I know. It's it's hilarious that nobody ever actually... It just goes to show you when they go through and check them, what do they check them against? Because, yes, this mistake has been in there for almost 100 years. The error that the physicist found was when he looked up the definition of the noun siphon. As in what, what you do when you're siphoning petrol. Indeed. The tube used to take fluid from a higher location and drop it down to a lower lower location. And the definition in the dictionary is that the force that acts upon the fluid to push it down the tube is atmospheric pressure pushing on the fluid and pushing it down the tube. Well, that's, right? that's what the definition says, right? That's what the definition says in the Oxford English Dictionary. And <laughs> apparently a bunch of other dictionaries that get all their information from the OED. When that is completely false, it is gravity. Gravity acting on the water or liquid, pulling it down the tube. This has been wrong for 99 years and no one's... Yep, somebody got it wrong at the beginning when they put in siphon and nobody picked up that that's not what it was. So it makes you wonder, you know, it makes you wonder a little bit about the fact checking that goes on. Yeah, what else is wrong? (laughs) Yes, because the... Physicist who discovered this contacted the OED and they were in the process of revising all of the entries in their dictionary. And they were, I think it was up to R or what's the one before R? Q. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They were up to Q or R in their process, so they hadn't got to S yet. (laughs) So So he got in just in time. Yeah, he got there just in time. So that was Dr. Stephen Hughes from Queensland, Australia, who discovered that. Mm. So as you said, the the Oxford English Dictionary currently says, a pipe or tube of glass, metal or other material, bent so that one leg is longer than the other and used for drawing off liquids by means of atmospheric pressure, which forces the liquid up the shorter leg, over the bend and in the pipe. So as you said, Brett, it's uh, it, it it very much says it's atmospheric pressure. Where whereas pressure Stephen Hughes, the, the, yeah, the top, yeah. Whereas Dr. Stephen Hughes from Queensland University of Technology says it's gravity that causes the liquid to flow, not atmospheric pressure. Precisely, it is gravity 
acting on the larger mass of the long leg of the siphon, the liquid in the long leg, pulling it down, which then pulls the liquid up the shorter leg. All I can say is just as well dictionaries are online now. (laughs) (laughs) Makes it so much easier. (laughs) Yeah, indeed. Just before we go, I just noticed that uh, yesterday, Sunday the 16th of May, is exactly 50 years since the invention of the laser. Ooh. Happy birthday, laser. Yeah. Happy birthday, laser. Ah, <laughs> it's such an important invention. Indeed. Used everywhere. We, it's used everywhere. You, you would be hard-pressed to go about your day without using or passing a device that utilizes lasers. Absolutely. And I think that's pretty much our show, isn't it? Oh, I have something as well. Had you um, read the story about uh, the Google Street View cars grabbing traffic from open Wi-Fi networks as they drive around? Oh, I saw that as I scanned the the headlines, yeah. Yeah. So tell us, what's actually, what are they doing? Well, as they've been driving around taking Street View, they've been mapping and collecting data about Wi-Fi networks that they find as they're driving along. So that's kind of like Skyhook do a similar thing, don't they? So that gives positional information. Yes, but... It has been also collecting payload data from these Wi-Fi networks, actually catching information about what's passing through them. Oh, not so just data collecting itself. the not just collecting, yeah. The actual data itself, not just collecting the information about, you know, the the network ID and MAC addresses of the Wi-Fi routers that they've been countering. Now that's not a good look for Google. Why are they doing that? Well, they've admitted that they've been mistakenly collecting payload data from the <laughs> Wi-Fi networks. Mistakenly uh, collecting? How do you do that mistakenly? Oh, and, and <laughs> well, you know, it, it could just be the people operating the ones as they're driving around. It might not be company mandate. Could just be employees. Um, yeah, that's, I guess it's possible. In, incorrectly configured devices in the cars. But they have said that they have decided to completely stop collecting Wi-Fi information from the Street View cars. Well, yeah, actually they said that because I think Facebook will do it for you. <laughs> well, they won't do it for you, but they'll definitely show everybody it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, on that note, I think we'll wrap up the show. Um, <laughs> Brett, it's been a blast. Thank you very much for doing this rather long edition of The Boys of Tech, episode 66. Not a problem. Always a pleasure, Edwin. And it's with what? We're two thirds of the way through to our uh, centenary. Indeed. We're going to have to do something interesting for 100. We will. There better be some good tech news that week. Oh, they better, they or, we'll better just be. have, or we'll just have a party and just chat about the stuff that's happened during the first 99 episodes. Yeah, either or. Mm. As long as we have an episode. Indeed. All right, on that note, thank you once again, Brett. And thank you to everyone else listening to us out there on the internet via your iPod or Zoom, if, even if it's brown. We don't mind. Uh, and we'll see you all again losing composure here I'm not going to edit this I'm just going to carry on so we'll see you all again next week till then take care everyone bye 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 bye